Hello, friends, and welcome to the Preacher Podcast. We are on the sixth Sunday of the Easter season, and we are in our series called Resurrection Reality. Today, we are thinking about uh, love and how the risen Savior produces uh, love in his followers and love that is then expressed from his followers to one another and to the world. Let's uh, meet our preachers for this series. You've gotten to know them over the past few episodes. Ben Tomzak from Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Pastor John Bergman from Good Shepherd in Downers Grove, Illinois. And I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Well, uh, John, let's start with you. Could you talk to us a little bit about the theme for the week in this Resurrection Reality series? Uh, sure. The the theme here, Jesus' business is love, therefore so is ours. Kind of dovetails uh, in really nicely to what we talked about last week. We are called to produce fruit, and we talked about how the power of the resurrection enabled us to do that. Uh, and now, okay, well, what does that look like in even more detail? Here we go with the next verses from our section in John chapter 15. One of those ways it looks like is to love, to love as Jesus has loved us. And so it's really nice kind of a continuation, I think, really of a theme that started last week, but the resurrection empowers us to love as Jesus loves us. Yeah, thank you. A, a very simple theme, uh, but just comes across so clearly and beautifully in the words of our Savior in the sections that we'll be looking at. And in the other sections, too, speaking of which, uh, Ben, could you brief us on the first reading and the second reading for the day before we get into the gospel? Yeah, in, in Acts 9, we get the account of uh, Peter raising Tabitha from the dead, and, and it's putting into life, which these lessons from Acts have been doing, we're seeing in, in real practical terms how the church does these things that are sometimes so abstract to us in, in the gospel or epistle lessons. So there's this woman who had been such a, a shining example of Christian virtue. The people were heartbroken when she died. Uh, and, and so they summoned Peter. And, and I wonder um, I wonder what their, their mindset was. Was it just to mourn with them, or were they kind of sort of hoping for a miracle from Peter? You know, I, I, That isn't made perfectly clear in the text why they summoned him, but I, I suspect they thought he could maybe do something about it, because there had been miracle working going on, but but it this this person, you know, it's almost in reverse of what Romans five said for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. And and now they're saying for this good person, might you possibly dare to raise her? Um, and they show Peter her great love and and it it had to break his heart. I, I saw this as almost a parallel to John 11 now where Peter had seen Jesus do the same thing. A dear friend uh, dies. It hurt Jesus. Peter sees the hurt and he sees the loss to the church of this woman who loves so greatly. And then he prays to the father and he calls her forth. And it, we're not even told how did Peter even know her? You know, that that's the thing. It was, is this someone he knew of? Did he know her? Had they interacted or is this just, but that's the love of, of the Christian church. She was a friend of his simply because she was a sister in Christ and, and the love of Jesus flows out to people that at every level of our, our relationship with them. And so, so we see that, that love that came from Jesus through Tabitha and through Peter. And then in John, we get a, two portions of first John chapter four, arguably simpler sections than we dealt with in, in past weeks where we had to do with the antichrist, but not here. 
Um, here we have John really putting into his own words what we'll talk about in the gospel. We see how John had taken to heart, John chapter 15, this discourse from, from the Lord's Supper, and that theme that Jesus had on the night he was betrayed, let's love one another. And, and we know that that's uh, kind of a, a summary of John's letter uh, and, and, and the gospel of John as, as the love evangelist. But he's also taking to heart the gospel. We see that so clearly when he talks about loving each other, just like Jesus, we see this isn't, you know, getting beat over the head. Hey, do better. No, he tells us that love comes from God and we only love because we've been born of God and know God. And, and then he points to the all time love of God. He sent his son into the world that we might live. Um, so John knows that John knows that he was chosen as we'll hear Jesus talk about. And, and he puts it all in the proper perspective. In fact, if you read, not if, when you read these verses for yourself, you'll see that six times, six times in just seven or eight verses here, he makes it clear that we love because he first loved us. And he says, then the power of that is, how can that not show up in our lives? If Jesus called you to be his friend and you don't act like a friend to other people, then maybe you aren't Jesus' friend. So we, we see that this love that we will have, that we've been called to, as Jesus will say in the gospel, it's not a maybe or a choice. We love because we've been loved, period, end of story. But the good news is that's flowing from the gospel. So we are going to want to. That's the happy ending of this. We are absolutely going to want to love each other. Right. Yeah, First John 4, uh, I would often go to these, uh, maybe a sermon for a wedding uh, when people are, have love on their minds, but uh, pointing them back to how it all comes from God. And of course, I mean, this is just every day in the life of a Christian, right? Uh, just receiving love from God who loves us first and then showing that love to one another. And that's what the gospel for the day is about, too. So, John, can we go back to you uh, to turn our attention to John 15, 9 to 17, and uh, just get us thinking about uh, this text and preaching this text, Jesus, uh, continuation of Jesus' words from last week? Yes. Uh, ben did a nice job there mentioning it's the gospel, right, that empowers this love. And we're going to see that here, our, our living Lord He's not going to shape our lives of love with with threats and just his sovereign authority he, or power to force us into a mold. We're going to see his love for us motivate us throughout this section. As with so much in John, the Greek isn't that difficult, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But I almost think of some of the world's great musical pieces, sometimes the great ones that we remember forever. The notes are actually fairly simple. But they're composed in such a way that's just beautiful and profound. And that's what I see happening here in John. The Greek reads pretty much off the page, but oh, wow. Even though it's simple, it's beautiful and it's profound. And it begins from the very first words. Uh, with so many, so much of Jesus' words here, you'd have enough for multiple sermons, but you'd have multiple sermons in the very first line he begins the text in this way, just as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Okay, that, that would be enough to write countless sermons on in those thoughts alone. But just maybe to get us thinking about the profoundness of those words, just as the Father loved me, so I love you. Well, who is he talking to, of course? All of us, but specifically in the context, these disciples. And to consider that that's how he feels about them and addresses them. I don't know if any pastors could could relate to this, but imagine, I don't know, you go to a long church council meeting, 
and the president is kind of obnoxious and he wants to do his own thing and you know whatever and then the other council members are bickering and and they don't want to listen to you or one another you get home from that long council meeting at the end of the night walk in the door and say wow i just love those guys <laughs> probably not right but but look what's happening on this night uh the, the church president in a sense peter is going to deny that he even knows jesus three times with curses in the midst of this evening, they're get, the church council is getting into arguments, the disciples, about who is greatest. They're not washing feet. And then, of course, they're all going to betray him and run away. And, and he knows all of this. And this is how he decides to describe his feelings and actions towards them. Just as the Father loved me, so I love you. Well, that's an amazing heart of Jesus. And that is grace alone. We'll see that grace and that heart of Jesus many more times in these verses, but perhaps that just gets us started. Great. Uh, ben, do you just want to pick up from there and, and comment and comment on things that caught your eye as you went through this text? Yeah, it's the, all, all that stuff. You know, just each, each point along the way, Jesus really shows how Lutheran he is or we could probably flip that around would be better, I suppose, and say we see how Lutheranism is just so immersed in Christ when we understand the role of faith and works and grace. And 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 the, and the words that jumped out at me in verses 9 and 10 were the, the kathos, just as, you know, that, that kind of that equal sign word, just as the Father loved me, I loved you. So he kicks it off like the Father in Exodus 20, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And then he gives the Ten Commandments, I loved you. And then he does it again, verse 10, just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. So he, he points subtly to his active obedience as the motivator. Um, and then in verse 13 is when he gets a little more explicit with you know our great Memorial Day passage, greater love is known than this. They laid down his life for his friends where Jesus again, without you know belaboring the point, but he, He's no doubt looking ahead to his own sacrifice. I'm about to do this right before then he says, and now I call you friends, not slaves, but friends. You're not guys who just say how high when I say jump. You're a friend. I'm going to take you inside my father's business. I'm going to tell you everything he's told me because I chose you. I've made this decision. I chose you to be my friends. And then it's, and it's all interspersed. This is just amazing. Like this, this can really blow our homiletical minds. We're so, I think, married to the idea of you know some kind of you know law than gospel or or however. No, Jesus is just interweaving it throughout so that you can't miss it. That if for every passage you want to grab out of here, well, law, love each other. You know, he's just told you why. Because I love you, because you're my friend. And of course, what is a friend gonna do? Of course, you're gonna love one another. It's just like you said uh earlier before, John, just so marvelous how it's intertwined or he says such simple things. He, I was just this morning meeting with a family that's going to enroll in our school and we were reading the small catechism. I just said, can you believe this is 500 years old? Usually 500 year old documents sound so clunky and cloggy, but Martin Luther had a way to write that was just profound and yet, man, so readable and easy. And, and he was gifted in the same way the Holy Spirit gifted John, who's really just quoting Jesus. These are just it's out there, man. You don't have to like what he says, but he chose you. Friends, be friends. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, 
Yeah, the the context here, I think, is also something to pick up on it. And we do, I think, when we preach on sections from John 15. But, you know, when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends, of course, there's a poignancy to that, given the time frame, because it's less than 24 hours away from when he will do that very thing. Or, um, yeah, as you mentioned, Ben, um, when you talk about, when Jesus talks about loving one another, well, there's immediate application for these guys right there in that room um, who need to grow in their love. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that's something to consider for a sermon too, uh, fleshing out that context there and, and how it enriches the scene uh, in Jesus' words. Um, well, you, you raised the point, Ben, um, and I know I've run into this, and even I remember as a seminary student, too, being assigned a text from John's Gospel uh, and trying to do an analytical outline from it. You know, well, I'll take the first section of verses, then I'll take the second section of verses, and it didn't really work. You had to do what the, our book calls a synthetic outline, which is kind of you group ideas together rather than, you know, chunks of passages. Um is that what you would do in a sermon here? Do you focus first kind of on the love of God and then next on how that love lives itself out in Christian lives? Or uh, what do you guys do or what are you considering as a strategy for uh, a sermon on this text? Uh, ideas for preachers or how you might go about it? Yeah, those are good points, John. It, it seems that uh, John or, or Jesus, who's speaking these words, didn't go to junior and middler homiletics class, and um, so that can send us some curveballs. And, and I, I won't suggest there's obviously any one way to do it. Uh, there's challenges. Sometimes when I've approached this text, I've, I've kind of said, look at this love of Jesus, um, and then transitioned a little bit more into, is that you? Um, or was that the disciples? Is that you? I mean, he's he's calling us to love just as he has loved us. And it doesn't take too long to get into the law, probably with those words, just as. But then how am I empowered to do that? There's that gospel that flows so readily from how he switches back and forth. Well, he chose me. He lives in me. His love empowers me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, I, I've probably have yeah, gone more sanctification at the end there. So, so go do it. And then even it's kind of a neat thing here. Go have joy in doing it. You know, all these instructions from Jesus, he says so beautifully uh, in, in verse 11, that your joy may be filled up. And so I think you can end on that high note of joy. That's how I've kind of approached the text, but just, just one way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, thinking in terms of, Christ's love for us, uh, motivating our love for one another, and yeah, weaving in those other themes of joy and friendship and, um, and the other words that Jesus uses here. Uh, ben, how do you go about preaching a text like this where things are interwoven? In this particular instance, I, I think knowing that the law will always apply itself as it wants to more than how we want it to, um, I, I thought you know, Jesus isn't beating his disciples over the heads here. I, I I love what you said about, you know, the context of the night, and he's already had a conversation with them about, you know, they've been arguing about their place, and or all sets coming. I can't remember which. Maybe they're doing it on the way to Gethsemane. So, I mean, you got these guys who just don't know how to do this very well, and they're, they're just being humans. And 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 so I, I approached it sort of as, you know, you 
trying to be encouraging, but knowing that even in encouragement, the law will accuse. So just, you know, starting with Jesus chose us to be friends and, and here's what friends are. And I, I did start with, you know, John writes in first John that it's ungodly to not love. He just says it. If you don't love your brother, you, you're not loving God. So there's, I guess, if we're going to par parse it out, that's law in its first use that it's being exposed. But just, you know, this is a tough thing to do. I, I, I started with an anecdote. I had a, a family funeral. One of our shut-ins died and the families gave me this text to preach for the funeral. They specifically said, we want John 15, 9 to 17. I said, okay, why? Because we're terrible at doing this as a family. They wanted me to preach a funeral sermon to a family about how they needed to be a family and friends to each other. Well, okay. You know, just to start with, I mean, I don't know where anybody's life is, but our lives are filled with these things, whether it's hatred, jealousy, judgment, or just ambivalence to one another. You know, it's like the old joke, you know, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know. And I don't care. Mm -hmm. That's not a choice we're given by Jesus in the gospel. He says, love. And then just to push them with this incredible love of Jesus, the, the Jesus who laid it out. I've, I've obeyed the Father's commands. I've loved you. Um, and and um, just thinking through it, I, I point to the, you know, the, the Jesus who's not just the Jesus of the grand gesture. You know, he's going to hint at it, greater love has. But the Jesus who does the little things that are really friendship. You know, he's he's at a wedding and his mom bugs him. And because it's mom and because he's Jesus, he solves a wedding problem. This is this is love. And, and uh, just, yeah, I, I tried not to, I tried to think come from that just perspective of, and, and in the, in the 93 lectionary, we get this paired with Peter's words, um, always be right for the reason, give reason for the hope you have. And then it goes into Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous. So there I made explicit, but Jesus only hinted at and say, let me look at what choosing us meant. And it's not, um, I had an image in my head, too, of the movie White Christmas, if you've seen that one. Uh, Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby, War Buddies, you know. And um, Danny Kaye saves Bing Crosby from a falling building. And throughout the movie, he'll occasionally grab his injured arm when he's asking Bing Crosby to do something, do him a big solid, and, and kind of the puppy dog eyes. And it's like, that's not Jesus. He's not He's not saying, hey, guys, I died for you, and kind of holding that part in his side where he got stabbed and, and hoping we'll hop to it. He's just saying, hey, I'm your friend. I chose you of all the people I could have chosen. And, and we know how undeserving we are of that. And how could we do anything else? Right. right. Uh, we have, uh, theologically speaking, uh, justification and sanctification here, or things kind of in those broad categories, right? Uh, so beautifully uh, woven together, um, or, you know, seeing how one flows out of the other. Um, yeah, so that's something to explore, too, I think. Then you into that when you said, uh, yeah, it, th this is a very Lutheran way of speaking uh, about grace and good works and faith and works and the relationship between the two. Um, love flowing out of Christ's action for us, his choice of us, uh, his grace to us. Um, so that's something that kind of, yeah, maybe maybe it's out front in the sermon, but maybe it's more kind of the framework we've got in our minds thinking in those terms. Um yeah, as you think about uh, uh, applications or other ideas for the sermon, um, any suggestions for preachers? And we've had some suggested already, but any others you'd like to share, John? 
Yeah, I, and Benjamin covered this well, but we're, we don't want to beat people over the head here with the law. But uh, this is an opportunity for some specific law that that love is going to be like the marker of how the world knows who we, who we are. And so, okay for us to be reminded of that. Um, I think it was in the there's probably happened more than once, but maybe it was in the second century A.D. You know, where one of the plagues broke out, the Roman Empire, and the Romans were so amazed to see these Christians loving their own just as much as they loved the Romans. And that, that was a huge witness. And again, we don't want to beat people over the head, but would that describe conservative Christians during COVID with what we post, with what we do, with our family dynamics? I mean, because Jesus says one of the signs of the end is that the love of most will grow cold. And we are saturated in a society that says, no, you don't love your neighbor, your enemy. You get what's yours and, and grab onto it and speak louder. So, I mean, this is, I think, is a very timely text there to pierce our heart a little bit on that. But then obviously, you know, how are we going to be motivated to do this? We, that's where we get right into that, that justification. We mentioned um, that he lives in us, that he loves us in this way. And then those other gospel words in there are so profound too. Yeah, he chose us, Right. Why do we usually, and he chose us to be friends. You know, maybe we haven't said that yet, but that word friends, boy, that, that could just be a whole sermon there too. And it's not just a 90s television show, but here it's, it's friends. Why do you usually choose a friend? Because that friend does something for you, benefits you in some kind of way. But he's saying, no, I choose you to be my friends just because, just because. And what profound grace that is and what wonderful, wonderful love that is. Yeah, Ben, any further ideas, kind of, John, yeah, fleshing out law and gospel themes in the sermon, uh, further ideas for, for preachers as you would do that? I feel like I must have plagiarized John's text study. I think he wrote word for word some of the stuff that, that I that I have here. Um, so I, I apologize, John. Um, yeah, I, I said for me, the word friend jumped out and and maybe that's another area to go to. I mean, friend, I mean, if you're on Facebook, you know, friending people. So that's a word that's at the front of our mind and it's a good word to unpack. And and it's so easy on Facebook. Click a button, friend. But are you really? I mean, everyone's life experience tells us making friends is really hard. I mean, and I've I've been reading lately, it's harder to do the older you get. I mean, making friends, keeping friends, having friends. We live in a society that doesn't value that connection anymore. So maybe we don't even know what friends mean. Friend, is friend someone I play softball with? Is it a person I sit in a cubicle with? Um, but Jesus tells us, no, friends die for each other. Um, and so we see the, I mean, and then think about the struggles. I, I thought about that. You know, I consider someone a friend, but do they consider me their friend? Um, I get worried about that. Or maybe I'm surprised when someone says we're friends and I think I'm not much of a, or, or I don't really want to be considered their friend because, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of weird. You know? So just everything bound up in that word friend is, I mean, Jesus is clearly investing a lot in that word when he, when he compares it to, you're not slaves, you're friends, friends of God. Oh. And, and then what he says, friends do, you do what I command. And so John said, well, you know, we can do specific law. I mean, we can just start unpacking, well, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there are some things Jesus has commanded. Paul summarizes Jesus in Romans 12 and 13. Of course, the Ten Commandments from God, um, where we can tell people, okay, if you're a friend of God, I like what you said, John. A lot of people claim to be friends of God and then act like real words we have to use wingdings for. Um, or they could do the Ten Commandments because that's what friends do. 
And and God has said, this is what it looks like to be a friend. Yeah, so a rich gospel picture in that word and concept of friends uh, that Jesus uses so often throughout this section. Yeah, each time it's used, I think it's it's worth just pausing and saying, does he, does he really mean that? Uh, he does, he does, and applies it to these disciples um, and to present-day disciples, including us. Um, yeah, potential themes or outlines or ways to kind of bring things together uh, for preachers. Any any suggestions? Um, uh, we've got some key words maybe we could include in a theme or, um, you know, that you could incorporate into kind of a central thought to weave throughout the sermon. Um, or other ideas, perhaps, too. Uh, do you guys have suggestions for preachers or ideas you're working with? Uh, John, any possibilities? Oh, yeah. Like you said, the, those words, friends, even chosen, you hear about that nowadays, or or love. You know, what's love got to do with it? I know that's a Tina Turner song, I think. But you know, just these phrases, you, you could, I think, take something and just build it off of any of those. Um, once I, I did a sermon, I think, on how love is almost like our defining uniform to the world. This is this is what Jesus shows to us. We show to them. Um, I have another idea or two for just some illustrations, but I'll, I'll let Benjamin give some insights if he has any any great themes or anything. <laughs> you know? I, I've gotten worse at themes in my the longer I'm out, the, the less I love having themes, and, and I, I always find myself being too cute by half. I mean, I don't know. Keeping it simple, Jesus picks his friends. I just, like you said, he chose us. I just, that was my, that's my repetition line in the sermon. He chose you. So, so something, something like that, or you know, instead of friends don't let friends drive junk, drunk, friends don't let friends not love one another. I mean, he's, I mean, he's definitely, in the way John writes, he's, he's pushing us to encourage each other and in, in preaching this message of, of love for one another to each other too but yeah i, I don't have a, a brilliant theme there just like so i i let th those thoughts drove the, the narrative so so much already right and you mentioned well he chose us uh that that theme runs throughout here um as seen in his love for the disciples and calling them friends uh and then his action of laying down his life for them and in and then uh, verse 16, choosing them so that they can go and bear fruit. And what is that fruit? It's love for one another and for Jesus himself. Um, yeah, uh, further then, Johnny mentioned you had some further illustration possibilities that might be useful. Yeah, there's one I used once just to illustrate uh, what it means to lay down your life for your friends. And this is where I insert my Civil War history love. But uh at the Battle of Fredericksburg, General Ambrose Burnside, we get the word sideburn from him, but anyways, he had an idiotic battle plan of repeatedly sending Union troops running up a hill towards a stone wall, and they just got mowed down one after another. It's just a horrific bloodbath. Um, but the problem was then that night, those who were wounded close to the wall could not get any medical attention because the medics were, weren't going to get that close to the Confederate lines. So throughout the night, Confederate soldiers on, on one side of the wall just hear, heard these anguished cries of Union dying troops. And finally, one of them couldn't stand it anymore. He was Sergeant Richard Kirkland from South Carolina. And though he was a Confederate, he asked for permission to go to tend to these, the dying of, of the Union on the battlefield. And his superior officer it took a lot of convincing, but he finally said, if you want to do it, it's up to you. So he put his own life on the line, went out there and started giving them water 
And it didn't take too long before both sides figured out what was going on. But for an hour and a half, he put his life on the line. He kept coming back to them with water again and again and again and again and again. He said, I just have to help these people. These people were his enemies at the beginning of the day. But now he was calling them friends and putting his life on the line. There's a monument to him at Fredericksburg. They nicknamed him the, the Angel of Fredericksburg, actually, for his heroic deeds. And, you know, in one way, that's a cool story, I think. But we might look at that and go, well, that's nice, but it, it doesn't necessarily change our life. But I guarantee if you were one of those soldiers that he gave water to and he saved your life, you would probably live the rest of your life with that in mind. It, it might shape the way you look at everyone else. Uh, by the way, he died two years later in battle at age 20. Okay, so so Jesus, he doesn't just show us how to love. He makes us his brother, his friend, by giving his life, by laying his down life, his life down for us. He saved us from the battlefield of sin and death and hell, clothes us with his righteousness and love. And now that's going to change the way we look at everyone else and everything we do. So anyways, you can look that up online if anyone wants to grab that illustration. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So being the recipient of this uh, just uh, astounding uh, love and graciousness, um, yeah, changes changes our outlook and our view of what love is coming to us and then going out from us as well. Uh, yeah, anything further? Other ideas for preachers or uh, thoughts that that may be useful to them as they develop their sermons? Um, well, John played the Tina Turner card, so I got I got to bring out my Steve Winwood card. <laughs> bring me a higher love, right? And it, everyone knows that the hook of that song, bring me your higher love. Oh, so, but you read the lyrics and you just see the mishmash of what people think love is. Think about it. There must be a higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart. I'll look inside mine. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? There must be someone who's feeling for me. Or you could have Jesus incarnate that love in the wounds in his hands and in his side actually laying down his life we don't have to see this is like deuteronomy it's not an up here where i can't find it or down below no it's in your mouth and in your heart so two cool songs but just shows us how whacked we are on love and and now i just have to there's a <laughs> there's a great christian meme there's all these memes like things jesus never said memes going around or or in this case things jesus said and, and it's tim preaching kind of on a mountain says be kind to everyone and someone in the crowd says wait even Gary? Yeah, Gary's the worst. And Jesus says, yeah, we, we've been through this. Yes, be kind to Gary as well. And then Gary cries out, suck it, losers. And Jesus says, not now, Gary. <laughs> Just yeah. had to use my favorite meme. Yeah, Probably can't use it in a sermon. May not be relevant, but. <laughs> but I think it, you know, it, it illustrates, uh, I think, a theme through in the gospel and then the other readings for the day, too. Um, it's it, and your Steve Winwood reference reminds me of this, Ben. But it it's not just this abstract idea that we're out there looking for and grasping at. I mean, but I think people do right, and they're looking for some concrete love, something that's more than just uh, an idea. Um, and I think we just have these you know love conjures up romantic notions in our minds, and for some people, that's that's about it. Um, and here, there's something so much richer. Uh, so much deeper. Here's love in real life. Jesus laying down his life for us, us bearing the fruit of love. Um, the example of, of Tabitha in the Acts reading, like uh, this, yeah, this 
this heartrending scene where all her friends are, they're showing Peter here, you know, she made this for me when I needed it, uh, you know, and, and then John's words, yeah, yeah, and in first John got to be echoing, right, the upper room got to be echoing in his mind as he writes that. Um, but yeah, this is love that's more than just an abstraction. It's, you know, it's lived out by Jesus, and then by us, uh, because the love of Jesus is within us. All right, well, let preachers ponder that and and have uh, it, yeah enjoy uh, just pondering the love of Jesus and uh, putting it into words for your people and the the people the Lord brings in uh, into earshot of your sermon. God bless you, brothers, as you proclaim the love of Christ uh, for us and then working through us.